0: Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Thanks, Baked beans. You really got to the heart of what I'm planning to cover at that Theology Master's Day. So, okay, uh, we've got a lot to cover, so straight in, we're going to begin with a game. So, uh, no further ado, turn to someone around you, get into pairs or groups of three, and nominate one person to be it. Uh, Shout shotgun or however you want to do it. Very quickly. Okay. Here's the game. Here's the game. I want that person who has been nominated to do the following task. Describe to the other people in your group the layout of the house you lived in when you were 10 years old. That classic party game. Uh, Describe the layout of the house you lived in. I know that's a long way back for you to remember, but the house that you lived in when you were 10 years old. You have one minute. Go. Wonderful. Well, I hope you all enjoyed learning something completely pointless about one another. <laughs> um... Okay, we are in the fourth week of five uh, of a series where we are looking at worship. That did There was a point to that. Trust me, we'll come back to it. Um, We are in week four or five thinking about worship. And I don't know how you feel when you think about worship, in particular what we've just done in terms of singing songs and what we'll return to later. I tend to find that Christians fall into one of two camps when we think about worship. You get some people who are like natural born worshippers. You just love worship to worship. It is the most energizing life-giving thing you can do. If you're in that camp, you're the kind of person who just loves going to all-night worship services where you sing one song 32 times in a row and and that just energizes you and you come away thinking, "Yes, I met with God." And then you get the second camp, spoiler alert, I'm in camp 2. And we are the kind of people who um who find worship a bit more of a challenge. Uh, We get through the song twice and we're done, right? (laughs) We find worship a bit harder work. It's not that we don't see the value in it. We just don't, it doesn't come naturally. It's not as life-giving to us in the same way it is to you. And um, I often find that those two camps don't really understand each other. Like some of you are really going for it in worship and the others are like, I don't know what I'm meant to be doing. What is going on with those guys that I'm not accessing right now? Do you know what I mean? No, no one knows what I, yeah, some of you, some of you know. I won't ask you to tell me which camp you fall into, because that might depress Rich somewhat, but if you fall into camp two, just give me a subtle wink, so Rich can't see it. Yeah, a couple of winks, you flirtatious lot. That's um, Okay, so l- let, me, let me give you an example. Um, Uh, In fact, this example, Jamie Day literally did this at the beginning of the service in the South, which was perfect. Um, It's like he knew. And uh, uh, sometimes the worship leader will be leading us uh, passionately. And they'll say, let's just read a psalm together. Psalm 27. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And half the room are like, yes, amen. We gaze on your beauty. And the other half of us are like, Where where are you seeing this beauty? Like, what what are you gazing at? And then the worship leader's like, come on, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Where? Like, (laughs) let's press into his presence. (laughs) And half of you just seem to really get it. And the other half of us are like, I don't know what I'm meant to be doing right now. And to be clear, I'm being slightly tongue-in-cheek, but only a little bit. And I'm not mocking you if you are in Camp 1. To be honest, I've spent most of my Christian life jealous of you because I've often looked at people who engage with worship and it seems so natural, so energizing, so life-giving. And I think, what is it that they are experiencing that I'm missing out on? And I've often assumed that they're just way more spiritual than I am and there's nothing I can do about it. And maybe some of you are like, yes, Liam, that's exactly the case. I'm way more spiritual than you. How come you get to preach? (laughs) I understand that. I don't know either, but... I came across a quote a few years ago, uh, which has honestly just changed my perspective on worship. It was actually in a book about prayer um, by a guy called Gregory Boyd called Seeing is Believing, and he said this, In my 23 years as a pastor, I have found that the primary difference between those who love to worship and are impacted by worship on the one hand, and those who never seem to enjoy it or get much out of it on the other, is not that one group is simply more spiritual or committed than the other. So there. Rather, he says... The fundamental difference I have found is that something is happening in the minds of the first group that isn't happening in the minds of the other. I read that and I thought, you know what? I think he is right. And since Jesus told us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, I think we need to know how to love God with our minds. What role our minds play in worship. And I can honestly tell you that since reading that book and thinking about this and practicing, I have grown in my experience of worship so much. I still don't find it as easy as some of you guys do. I still get sick of a song after the third time round. But I have found that I can engage with God way more deeply when I try and engage every part of me as he asked me to. So today I want to think about how we can worship God with our minds or more particularly with our imagination. So my first question is this, what is the imagination. The German philosopher Immanuel Kant said this, imagination is the faculty of representing in intuition an object that is not in itself present. What he's saying is this, in the imagination, we we bring to mind something that we can't currently access, literally, physically. We represent We represent it in our minds such that we have access to it where we didn't previously have before. And I am confident that all of you would have done this a couple of times, maybe this morning. At least half of you definitely have because that was the point of the experiment. When I asked you to uh, describe the layout of the house you lived in when you were 10 years... (laughs) Any architects? I'm no threat to you, seriously. but um, (laughs) The laugh of an architect. Uh, When I asked you to describe the house you lived in, probably what most of you did, whether consciously or not, is you represented this thing that's currently absent. I mean, none of you grew up in this room, I imagine. Like, if you did, you have my sympathies. It's a weird place to be born and raised. But none of you had access to that, and yet you probably represented it in your mind, whether like a floor plan or more likely as if you were actually walking through it. You could see it in your mind. Am I right? And so you describe to people what was going on in your intuition. This is the imagination. This is representation. And we do this all the time. In fact, it's one of the most useful things our minds can do. There are perhaps three categories of things that we are able to imagine. Firstly, things that are Um, spatially absent. That is, they are not physically, geographically here right now. So if I asked you to describe a family member or a friend who is not in this room, you would be able to do that by getting them in your mind and describing what you see, or an object that you own, or the thing that you left on the table before you left home this morning. Or if I asked you to give me directions to St. Paul's Cathedral, you would be able to do that. And the way you would do that probably is by imagining the route you normally take in your mind and then describing what is going on in your imagination, right? And some of you may see it like that, or some of you may see it more like Google Maps, but what you're doing is representing something that you then use to give direction to me. Yeah? So, That's the first category. Second category, some of us can imagine things that are temporarily absent. That is, they are absent now, but not because of geography, but because of time. Memories work like this. If I were to ask you to tell me a scene from the holiday you took two summers ago, you would be able to do that. If I asked you to tell me what clothes you wore yesterday, you would do that by imagining it, not just by thinking... You know, I follow this list. You know, you'd imagine what you wore yesterday. If I asked you to describe the wonderful meal you had two weeks ago, you'd be able to do that. I mean, now we have Instagram so that we don't have to remember those things. But before Instagram, we had the imagination. We can do that. In fact, and I won't really draw on this, but we can imagine things that are temporarily absent because they've not yet happened. Right? We can imagine things that might happen later in the day. We might not be right, but we can imagine them. Third category of things we can imagine things that are logically absent. That is, things you can't see right now because they may not actually exist. How many of you have had that experience of reading a book and it's just been so vivid that you've imagined the character in your mind? Hands up if you've experienced that. Now, how many of you have had the experience where you've gone to see the film and been disappointed because the actor they've chosen is Daniel Radcliffe? (laughs) Irrespective of whether he matches up to your imagination, it's a disappointment, isn't it? Let's be frank. But when... When the thing in your mind is so vivid, you go and see it and you're like, that's not what the guy looks like. But the guy never existed. But in your imagination, this stimulated a picture of it, right? If I were to ask you right now, imagine something that does not exist. Imagine for me, literally do this, a pink crocodile with yellow spots. Do it right now. How many of you can see that in your imagination? Loads of hands. To be clear, that was not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> wow, God, is it? He is, but that wasn't him. Like, that was your imagination. We can do that all the time. We can also imagine things that are logically absent because they can't be perceived, though they do actually exist, like a soul or angels or even heaven with or without baked beans, for example. We can start to imagine these sort of things. These are always, we use the imagination dozens and dozens of times a day, and there is nothing strange or supernatural about them at all. We do these things all the time. In fact, we would not be able to navigate life and get from A to B or enjoy entertainment or memories without engaging our imagination. And yet, I have never heard a sermon on using the imagination in worship. I often think it is something we do all through our lives but don't do at all in worship. Why the heck not? In each of these instances, we are seeing something but we are not seeing them literally with our eyeballs. We're seeing them with our whole being, our heart, our mind, our emotions. The philosopher of science, Norwood Russell Hansen, says this, people, not their eyes, see. Cameras and eyeballs are blind. I love that idea. If we reduce seeing to just what happens with these two things in our head, we miss out on a whole load of what the Bible particularly talks about when it talks about seeing or experiencing or savoring or beholding or viewing things of God. So for example, Psalm 27, it talks about gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. It doesn't mean with these eyes, it means with something else, maybe with our imagination. Hebrews 12 talks about setting our eyes or fixing our eyes on Jesus who's at the right hand of God. He is... He is spatially absent from us. He is not here, and yet we can somehow set our minds and our eyes on him. 2 Corinthians 3 says, As we behold the glory of the Lord, we're transformed into his image by the Spirit. And there are countless verses like Ephesians 3 and Romans 7 and 2 Peter that talk about this happening in our inner self. If we limit seeing to just what goes on here and take a very literal uh, approach to Scripture and to worship, we will miss out on dozens and dozens and dozens of ways that God wants us to see and encounter Him. The Bible seems to assume that when we worship, something happens inside of us that connects us with God at a deep level. Not just with our eyes, with our whole being, with our imaginations. And one of the reasons I think that we find this language confusing is because many of us have either been taught or implicitly thought that the imagination plays no role in worship. What we do when we come to worship is we shut out the imagination. And I think many of us think this for one of two reasons, two lies. The first lie we have bought is this. Imagination equals imaginary. Imagination equals imaginary. Many of us think that anything to do with the imagination is about fiction. It's about things that aren't real. That's not what I mean at all. In fact, there is a long history of philosophy, I won't go into this, but with people like Kant and Hegel and various other philosophers who've talked about the fact that the imagination is the key place where God and man connect. And what they are not saying is that through the imagination, we create an idea of God, but rather through the imagination, we get to explore the God who is genuinely already there. Let me give you an illustration of the two different uses of that word to do with imagination. If I said about Joe Wells, who uh, is a great leader here in this service, if I said about Joe, Joe is a really imaginary leader (laughs) like everything she does in her leadership everything she says the way she I clearly don't think this uh, the way she leads us it's all in her imagination (laughs) that would not sound like the most glowing endorsement right that would sound like Joe is not very grounded like Joe is just making stuff up and her leadership is not grounded in reality that's not a great way of thinking however if I said to you Joe is an imaginative leader that is worlds apart that is completely different Because what I am saying in that case is not that Joe is making stuff up, but rather Joe has the capacity to see things through her imagination as they genuinely are, but in a more creative way than others might so that she can lead and live differently. Do you see the difference? So when I talk about the imagination in worship, I'm not saying let's be imaginary worshippers. Let's just make up stuff about God. I'm saying let's be imaginative worshippers. Let's be worshippers who allow ourselves to see things about God and the world as they genuinely are in a way that changes our approach, in a way that gives us new perspective. Incidentally, I think this is what Paul is talking about when he says about setting our minds on things above. He's saying have your perspective shaped by things above, by God's perspective, so that you will see things differently. Our imagination in worship needs to correspond to the reality of who God is. Otherwise, it's no help to us. In the same sort of way that if you're giving directions, the Google map in your head needs to bear some resemblance to actual geography. Otherwise, you're going to make someone get lost. (laughs) So when we use our imagination in worship, I'm not asking you to make stuff up. I'm asking you to shape your mind by God's perspective such that you may engage with him and the world differently. That was lie number one. Lie number two is this. Many of us have bought the idea that imagination equals distraction. That is, the imagination is something to be fought against in worship because the primary thing it does is distract us. I don't know how many sermons you have heard where people have talked about the imagination. Some I have given. Often when we talk about prayer or Bible reading, actually, we give the idea that most of us are trying very hard in our own personal times to focus on something, whether it's prayer or Bible reading. And it's like we're trying very hard to get our minds to stay here. But our naughty imaginations just run wild and they won't stay in the circle, will they? And so our imaginations, we're there reading and suddenly this shopping list comes into mind or this idea of kind of household chores. Uh, Any artists, again, not threatened by me today, but... Household chores come into mind, or maybe questions about our finances. We can't escape them. They're just there. It's like our imagination's running wild, or, or that person we're in relationship with, or that doubt, or that question or concern we have. And so we're trying to focus here, but our imaginations are running off left, right, and center. That's the way we talk about imagination all the time. And if you think that's how imagination works, then it makes sense that when you want to focus on something like worship, you're going to shut the imagination out. Because you don't want your imagination running riot, but what if, rather than being a hindrance, the imagination should actually be a help to our worship? What if it is one of, if not the key, that God wants, uh, key way that God wants to engage with us in worship? The mystic theologian Saint Francis de Sales says this. By means of the imagination, we confine our mind within the mystery of which we meditate so that it may not ramble to and fro, just as we tie a hawk by his leash so that he may rest on the hand. See, what he's saying is this, our minds wander to these things, not because of the naughty imagination, but because we are not using the imagination correctly. Our minds wander to these things because we have nothing better stimulating our imagination. So he's saying that if we actually use our imagination properly, the imagination is the means by which we stay focused on these things. I think many of us, the reason why our minds wander in worship is not because of our naughty imaginations, but because we've never used them. We've never given them anything better to focus on. And what he's saying is that when we use our imagination rightly, we are like when you put a hawk on your arm and tying it there. We're giving it some kind of restraint. It can only go that far and no further. When we use our imagination, it helps our minds to focus on the mysteries of God in worship. If imagination is the key place where God and man meet, then the extent to which we genuinely enjoy and enter into and get changed by worship will be affected by the way we engage what's up here. If we cut off a key part of our being that we use in every other area of life, but never think to use in worship, we will miss out on a major way God intends to connect with us. You with me? So, how do we do it? Let's get practical. How do we engage the imagination? uh, Richard Foster says this, the inner world of meditation is most easily entered through the door of the imagination. We fail today to appreciate its tremendous power. When we think about Christian meditation, what we're talking about is not something weird. We're talking about keeping focused here on the mysteries of God. And we do that not by emptying our minds, not by choosing not to think, but rather choosing what we allow to shape the way we think. So when we come to worship, There are many things that help to fuel and engage our imagination. Here are just a few of them. Firstly, the Bible. When we read the Bible, we come across all sorts of language, imagery, that should spark emotions within us, should get our imagination going. And yet many of us don't know what to do with it, perhaps because we interpret it too literally, or we don't take time to think about it properly. We include Scripture in our worship Because we think it is there to inspire us in our worship of God. Sometimes the worship leader will share something they've prepared in advance. Or there'll be something spontaneous or we'll read something together as a way of shaping our minds. Now when you come across imagery in Scripture that is very concrete, very vibrant, why not try and picture it in your mind? like you did earlier with the layout of the house and the pink crocodile, if you picture it in your mind, that then allows your imagination to draw strength and inspiration from it. So for example, if you are reading about God being your rock or fortress or shield or planting you like a tree beside a river or being a shepherd who leads his sheep, don't just say these things and go, okay, I logically understand what that means. Like engage with it in your mind. Literally try and picture it in your mind if that works for you. And once you have, why not ask yourselves questions like this? What does this image tell me about God or the world or myself? Ignatius of Loyola, who I think Lars mentioned in his last talk, he talks about engaging with Scripture with all five senses, asking questions that make it come alive. So ask of these images you're holding in your mind, what does this tell me about God? Then maybe ask yourself, how does this make me feel? Or at least how should it make me feel? There are times when during worship I'll picture the idea of God being a rock and it makes me feel more secure. Or think about God flinging all the stars into space and then thinking, yeah, but he knows me by name. It makes me feel tiny but precious. As we explore these things with all five senses, we connect with them at a deeper level. Incidentally, I find that many of the people who struggle most with sung worship tell me actually the way I connect with God most is by reading the Bible. I understand that. I am somewhere down that end of the spectrum myself. So here's my challenge to you. If you find some areas easy and some areas hard, why not use the ways you find easier to engage your heart and your mind such that you can then bring the fuel from that into the areas you find more difficult? You may well find you engage with worship better as a result. Many of us have this strange idea that worship begins when Rich plays the first chord. Uh, That is not The case, I have found that I most deeply engage with God in worship when I have prepared myself in advance, when the first chord is like, come on, I've been waiting for this for ages. (laughs) So if you are the kind of person that struggles with singing but loves to read scripture and finds you engaged with God like that, then why don't you, before you come to church or on the journey on the way in, read a passage of scripture, do the Ignatius thing, Ask yourself questions about it. Try and understand it. Think about what it might mean for you. If you meet with God there, great. And then when you come into the area you find harder in sung worship, you've already got something going on in your brain. You've got an idea you can reflect on that can fuel your worship. Are you with me? Yes. The Bible, firstly. Secondly, creeds and prayers. I won't say much on this, but one of the reasons we read creeds or we pray prayers together may be set pre-written prayers, is because it inspires our imagination. These are poetic ways of helping us to engage with the themes of Scripture in a new way. And when we read a creed, you're not just going, here's a bullet point, a bullet list of things I am meant to believe. Like, it's not like that. When you read these prayers or the creeds, it's an invitation to enter a way of seeing the world that changes your perspective. That's why we do these things. Thirdly, lyrics of songs. Fairly obvious. A lot of singing involves a lot of lyrics. And so when you're engaging with the lyrics, try and let them affect your imagination. A lot of the lyrics that we sing are quite imaginative, quite evocative, because they're designed not just to go to the mind, but they're meant to get our hearts going. They're meant to get our imaginations going. And the worship team at Christchurch do an amazing, amazing job. Am I right? Yeah, they do. They do an incredible job. Not only of selecting great songs that fuel our imagination, but writing great songs that do as well. And often what they're trying to do is get a real balance between uh, language of Scripture, helping us to understand that, and finding new language for old themes that connects with the modern imagination. And they put so much work into that. I'm really happy with them. They do an amazing job. And I think that we honor them and the work they put in when we allow our imaginations to go on the journeys they wanted to take us on. I know they have not asked me to plug this, but I will plug this. The Christchurch album is a great example of this because it weaves together both imaginative songs with creative lyrics and also creeds and prayers and a spoken word. And it's a brilliant resource, not just because I feature on two of the lines, uh, but that is a major factor. Um, (laughs) It's a brilliant resource because we can put that on and use it to fuel our worship. If you find it difficult in a room of a couple of hundred people, then by yourself, why not play that? Listen to Baz's spoken word at the beginning and imagine creation. Imagine what he's talking about. Picture it in your mind. Sing the songs or the lyrics or listen to them. Try and bring it to mind. Recite the words of the creed and allow yourself to enter into that way of seeing the world. When we are singing lyrics, let's engage with them. Maybe picture them literally. One of the reasons I close my eyes during worship is because I find it easier to picture those things that way. Sometimes if I'm really struggling, I'm like this. I'm really focused and I may look really miserable to you. Actually, I'm having a great time. I'm just like, this is how sometimes I just have to really focus to get my imagination sharp. Now, you may find it helpful to close your eyes, but chances are when I asked you to picture your house or think of a pink crocodile, none of you went like that. You just did it. So we can engage our imaginations with our eyes open or closed. Whatever works for you. But engage with the lyrics. Visuals, just on that, and I won't say much, but some of us struggle with engaging this part of our mind, so we need something to look at. If that's you, that's great. That's fine. In your own time at home, you may find it helpful to look at a cross or a candle, some light that helps you reflect on God as light, or a piece of artwork, or something like that. Again, these are not so that we direct our worship to these visual things. Don't worry about that. These are things that spark our imagination so that we direct our worship to God. And then our lives. Our lives are a rich vault of reasons to praise God. They should fuel our imaginations. Matt Redman sings about 10,000 reasons for our hearts to praise God. I mean, given that my heart beats 115,000 times a day, I think he's undersold God a little bit. But I get the principle, right? Our lives are full of thousands of reasons to praise God. And when we think that the aim of worship is to shut out our lives, we shut out 10,000 reasons to praise God, right? Imagination, I said earlier, does help us to focus so that our minds don't go to these places. But when used correctly, the imagination should also allow us to draw these areas of our lives into the realm of worship such that it becomes more personal. Let me explain. David did this all the time. In the Psalms, Psalm 103, for example, he says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So in the context of singing a song of worship that he has designed for others to sing and do the same, he says, I am going to literally remember the good things of God so that it causes me to praise. He talks about... Um, The one who forgives your sins, heals your diseases, redeems your life for the pit, crowns you with love, and so on and so on. What he is doing is he's taking these literal good things that God has done and drawing them into the realm of worship. Not so that they take over and become the focus of our worship or derail our worship, but so they become concrete reference for these abstract ideas. So if I'm singing God you're so good I may have to work quite hard to convince myself he's good to think about this idea in the abstract but if I can bring into my mind that literal time where God has shown me his goodness picture it in my mind I can use that as a way of going wow I don't just know you're good because I'm told you're good I know you're good because I know it I've experienced it here and here and physically literally in my life. So if you I mean, the worship leaders, they do this all the time. They'll say, hey, focus on the glory of God. Call to mind things that remind you of his goodness. And what they're asking us to do in that moment is to do this, literally. So if I know that God has been my provider, there was that time I was going through uh, maybe financial struggles and God provided for me, then one of the ways I can fuel my imagination is by bringing it into the realm of worship. Picturing that person who God used to bless me Or picturing that thing that we couldn't afford that God provided for us. And it gives me a reason not to worship the thing, but to worship the one who gave it to me, right? Same goes when we know God as our healer, or if he has restored a relationship with a family member. We can picture that in our mind and it fuels our imagination to worship. There's the good side of it, but there's also the challenging side of it as well. And many of us will live life with different struggles and challenges going on. And when I sing a song like Mighty to Save, it may help me a little bit to sing it in the abstract. It's going to help me way more if I am singing it in a way that connects with my life. Where I know, God, you are mighty to save me. Not just generally, not just others, me. Right here, right now in this situation. When we sing like this, we do what worship leaders are talking about when they say, sing this song over yourself or over your life. I'm like, I don't know what that means. This is what it means. It means bring into the realm of your worship through the proper use of your imagination, the areas of your life where you need to know God's strength, his provision, his power, and then sing in such a way that you connect the ideas of those songs with what is going on in you. And as you do that, you find that two things happen. One, the Holy Spirit may speak to you, give you guidance, a new perspective on what that situation is all about. There are times where I've sung, Lord, would you show yourself to be powerful in this situation? Would you change the situation? And suddenly an idea has come into my mind of how I can change that situation. Because the Holy Spirit inspires me. What also happens is that something changes within you, in your inner self. You end up having more faith, more hope, more joy than you previously did. These are many of the ways that the imagination comes to bear on our worship. I've rattled through a lot of thoughts then. The reason being, we've never talked about this before. (laughs) I felt like I've had to do years of work in 30 minutes. (laughs) I don't know why many of us have gone through years never thinking about our imaginations in worship. Actually, maybe for some of you today, you've been like, Liam, I do this all the time. You're the only one that doesn't. (laughs) Maybe for some of you, I've given you language today to express what you have done intuitively for years. Or maybe actually what I've described today seems a little odd. You can't quite see it, can't quite connect with it. What I'd like to do, and maybe the band want to come back up, I want to give us an opportunity to try this and to see what the Holy Spirit does. But first of all, if you just need a bit of help grounding it, I want to describe to you how this works for me. And I'm going to describe it by describing the last worship time I was in before the one I just came from in the South. <laughs> um, and as I'm doing this, what I want you to see is this is really normal. This is what you do in every area of your life all the time. But I also know that ex- Explaining these things and using language like this, we don't talk about it a lot, so it may seem odd. Uh, Who knows? (laughs) But this, let me describe it. And the way it works for me may not work the same for you, and the way it works for me in this instance may not be the same as in any instance, uh, every instance. But I was at an event last week where I didn't know anyone else. I'm there, hundreds of people worshipping, and everyone seemed to be loving it. And I was the only one that wasn't. So <laughs> everyone was like jumping and clapping and screaming and punching in the air and seemed to be really engaging with God. And I was struggling, partly because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know uh, why these people were worshipping this way. I felt on the outside, to be honest. And then, of course, in that moment where nothing's going on in my head, what comes into my mind are the worries that I have. The concerns, the doubts, the struggles. And so I knew if I am going to engage with God in this time, I need to do something up here. Partly because I was going to preach on it the next week. But partly because it's the only way I know how to engage with worship. So we were singing this Hill song track, um, So Will I. It's called, uh, some of you will know it. Um, if you don't, I think we're going to introduce it over the next couple of weeks. It's a really visual song. Uh, loads of metaphors about creation. And I was like, okay, I can picture that. I can start there. That's easy. So we're singing this lyric, if the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. I was like, okay, let's practice what I'm about to preach. (laughs) Let's picture these things. I can picture stars. I can picture mountains. That's easy. So I'm thinking about these things in my mind, and then I start to do the Ignatius thing. I start to ask myself, what's this about? How's this making me feel? And it dawns on me, I don't know how stars worship. Or mountains worship. They don't sing and bow down, literally. So what's going on here? I'm asking myself. And the idea comes to me, maybe it's my imagination, maybe it's God, I don't know. That probably the way they worship is just by saying, God, my creator, here I am, doing the thing you created me for. That's my act of worship. And suddenly I thought, I wonder if that's what God wants from me. And this way of singing and dancing that's working for others, maybe that's not the main thing. It's not about me copying them, it's about saying, God. Thank you. I'll switch to this one. God, would you take me, your creation, and use me for your glory? It's about giving my heart to Him. So I start to do that and I realize that something changes within me. I feel more engaged than I did a moment ago, and so we're singing, and we're worshiping, and then I sing this line, you're the one who never leaves the one behind, and suddenly, not like the first time where I chose to focus on the stars, now, without me choosing to, an idea pops into my head. It's a picture of Jesus as the good shepherd, and I'm reminded of that scripture where he leaves the 99 to go and get the one, and in this strange, vivid sort of way, it's like I heard a whisper in my mind, my heart, my imagination, I don't know, but it was like I heard God say, That's what's going on right now. I've left the 99. Don't worry about the others in the room. They are fine punching the air. This is about me and you right now. And suddenly, I just felt like I was experiencing something of that intimacy that you natural-born worshippers seem to talk about all the time. It was between me and God. And suddenly, in that place of feeling secure, loved, known, accepted I was able to engage with the unresolved stuff in my own life so we're singing this line as you speak a hundred billion failures disappear and I'm no longer singing this in an abstract sense about other people's failures it's like I can picture my own failure that thing I wish wasn't true about me but I can't seem to shake and suddenly I feel like God could change that I feel faith growing in me I feel different as a result we sing this, if you left the grave behind you, so will I. And I think, well, of course, if God is powerful enough to defeat death, he can defeat that literal thing that is in my head right now. I could see him have victory over that. And so in this place of worship and feeling secure and connected with God, I was able to bring the areas of my life to him in a way that changed me. In four, five minutes, actually it was a worship conference. They, they play these, It's probably 12 minutes. They did it three or four times. In the space of that time, I found my heart shifted. I changed. I felt way more connected with him. And I left with far greater hope and faith to have different perspective, to live differently as a result. And God does that again and again and again and again and again. And he can do that for you today. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. And we're going to sing. And you may never have engaged with God like this before. My suggestion is give it a go. Try engaging imaginatively. See what he does. And if you find it difficult, don't be disheartened. We're here again next week and the week after and the week after. And we always do this worship thing. There are plenty of chances to practice. Come to the Empowered Evening. Do it at home by yourself. Let's practice this. I honestly think that the more we can engage with God with the fullness of who we are, heart, body, soul, and imagination, our mind, the deeper our experience of God will be. We will be able to behold his glory and be transformed by him. So why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for us. And it may well be that you want to focus on God right now. I suggest you close your eyes if that works for you. And if this just seems strange, you think, I don't want to do that, that's fine. I'm not going to know what's going on in your head. (laughs) You can just stand there and think what a dreadful sermon it is. That's fine. I won't know. Um, But my suggestion is why don't you try and actually picture something right now? Don't start with something in your life. If you start there, chances are it will fill your mind. It will dominate the worship time. Start with something that fixes your mind on God. It may be an idea of creation that helps you think of him as creator. It may be a rock or a shield or a fortress. It may be the idea of him planting you like a tree beside a stream. It may be the cross. It may be the empty grave. It may be the fire of Pentecost. Just call it to mind right now. It's normal, it's natural. But as you start to do this, the Holy Spirit makes it supernatural. So come, Holy Spirit. I pray that right now, we would sense your presence. And as we sing, would you engage our imaginations in a way that deepens our worship. As we sing about the beauty and the power of the name of Jesus, would they not just be abstract ideas, but powerful sentences that give us courage for the areas where we need to see your beauty and your power? I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us, strengthen us, give us your perspective and transform us as we worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. thank you for listening for more information or for further podcasts and downloads please visit christchurchlondon.org